excited to be able to minister to you guys. I know some of you are thinking, oh, Pastor Eddie got a tan. <laughs> uh, uh, guys, well, we want to continue to keep our lead pastor in prayer. He's in Arizona right now doing awesome things. He's uh, leading a discipleship uh, series and also doing some leadership development there and helping some restructuring. Uh, actually, this past week, Pastor Eddie, along with a lot of the other Praise Chapel pastors, were up in the mountains for the Praise Chapel International Summit. And Pastor Eddie's been able to help deposit a lot of the great things we've been doing here into the fellowship. So we're going to see some great things come out this year. So we want to continue to keep him in prayer while he's away. Also, can we keep Pastor Roxanne in your prayers? Earlier this week, she injured her back. Word is she was dunking on somebody. I told her not to do it. She did it. But now she's at home right now resting. Pastor Roxanne, we love you. Rest up. We can't wait to see you tomorrow. Uh, and also keep Pastor Don in your prayers. I don't know what's been going on this season. Uh, a lot of injuries, a lot of body aches. So continue to pray for the church. And uh, we're going to continue pushing forward. Amen. Now, I really think it's a tremendous blessing that we are growing so much as a church. And not just in size and in numbers, but our people within the church are growing. You know, we've grown to a point now where we're able to release our pastors to be able to make deposits and all around the fellowship and all around the world. And so we want to continue to grow that. If you, if you have a vision this year, if God's put it on your heart to grow in ministry, to serve more, to do more, seek it out. Don't hesitate. Get active because that's going to release other leaders to go out and continue to build the body. And that's our biggest goal. Amen? Amen. Amen. Come on. So this year we kicked off, to kick off 2019, we started with a series entitled Focus. Everyone say focus. focus. Come on, y'all got to wake up 930. Everyone say focus. focus. There we go. You guys are alive. You're breathing. That heart is pumping. Get that blood flowing. Let's go. So our series for this, our scripture for this series is in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. It says this, I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling, what's the word? What's the word? I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So let all who are fully mature have this same passion. And if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to them. Father God, we just want to thank you this morning for waking us up. Father, you woke us up on purpose to be able to hear from you, to be able to receive revelation from you, and so that we can put it into an action. Father, I pray over your word this morning. Let it just minister into our hearts, Father God, and just continue to be a blessing upon our lives. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. All right, so last week, Pastor Eddie talked about reframing our focus. That is, like we're looking in one direction, and sometimes we need to either zoom out or zoom in. Sometimes we may need to shift over to a completely new area. We have to get in the habit of reframing and refreshing the way that we view things. Because sometimes we can look at something for so long, it becomes very obscure or we only see the negative in it. So sometimes you need to reframe and shift your focus to start fresh again. Then he talked about helping uh, others reframe their view of Jesus. And we do that by how we live, by how we honor God, by how we worship God. That is what we can do to help others reframe their view of Jesus. There's a lot of people who have a negative view or a negative understanding of who Jesus is. And the big reason that is, is because Christians don't know how to behave. Christians act just the same or if not worse than people who are not believers. And so a big way that we can help reframe how people view Jesus is how we conduct ourselves. And the way that we do this is our worship can set others free. 
Last week, Pastor Eddie talked about Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 and how when they were in prison in a dire circumstance, that the only thing they placed their focus on was worshiping God and serving their purpose. They weren't worried about being held captive, even though they were thrown in prison unjustly, even though all the odds were against them. They weren't worried about that. The only thing they were worried about was worshiping God in that moment. And by doing so, the chains fell off of them and the doors flew open. And essentially, if they wanted to, they could have escaped that circumstance. And a lot of times when we're going through a bad time and a struggle and a hardship, we want to escape that circumstance. But instead of that, they decided that they were going to worship. And by doing so, the jailer who was getting ready to commit suicide because he believed he failed, he was able to come to know Jesus. Because other people endured their circumstance and through their circumstance were able to worship. So our worship is what can lead other people to Jesus. Amen? Awesome. This morning, what God has placed upon my heart to share are practices that will help ensure that we remain focused on the mission God has given us. So if you're taking notes this morning, and I really hope you are, it's a good way to focus. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> so the title of this message is Discipline Determines Focus. Discipline Determines Focus. Now I know the word discipline is not popular. That is not a fun word. Nobody likes to hear that word because two things pop in your head. A workout and eating routine that you don't want to do, or you go back to when your mom and dad used to beat you. Like some of you guys got flashbacks immediately. Like, oh, discipline. I don't want to get disciplined. I don't know if you guys are like me. I got whipped with a switch. This is a very scary tool to get whipped with because you got to go pick out your punishment. And you crying before it even begins. <laughs> too big. Too small. But discipline is something that's good for us. I'm not, I'm not talking about abuse here. I'm talking about discipline. And not just in the physical kind, the teaching, the instruction, the guidance. It is something that is good for us. And then there's the other discipline, that's self-discipline that comes from within. And it is, essentially is the same thing. And I want to read a portion of scripture to get a better understanding of this. In Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 4, the author of Hebrews writes this. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as son. So we want to break that portion down real quick. So it says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. That first word, discipline, he's talking about instruction. It's talking about guidance. It's talking about all those things the Lord is trying to show you to follow. And that's why he says, don't make light of it. Because sometimes we can read scripture and we don't take it so seriously. We're like, that one don't really apply to me. That one, oh, I like this one. I can do all things. Sweet. I like that one. We need to be able to adhere to the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. So rebuke is not as bad of a word as it sounds. Because I know when people are like, oh, he rebuked me. Oh, I've been rebuked. It's not a bad thing. What it's doing is calling you to correction. It's saying, this is where you messed up. This is where you need to get right. It's not a bad thing. But we hate being corrected so much, that's why we're afraid of that word. We should be able to be welcome to rebuke because when we know that it's a righteous rebuke. Being able to engage it and accept it like, you're right, I'm wrong, and this is what I need to correct. That's why the author writes, and do not lose heart. Because this is 
try, don't get heartbroken. All he's doing is making corrections. So when we understand the word rebuke, it doesn't hurt as much. A rebuke is a correction. Don't lose heart when the Lord corrects you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as sons. Verse 7, endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their fathers? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all. Let's bring some clarity to this. This is not saying that every problem that you face, God is sending to you. But it is saying when you do something wrong and disobedient to a God and there are consequences to it, that right there is God disciplining you. You're going to learn. You're going to learn. One way or another. And the thing is, we get so upset when we bring in our hardships to ourselves. But if we learn to endure hardships as a discipline, you're right, God, I messed up. I brought this on myself. I accept it. Now I can go through it and I can deal with it. You know, because remember being as kids, when you get punished, you sit in righteous resentment. Even though you knew what the rules were. Be home before the street lights come on. And the lights are on and you still on your bike. <sighs> oh my God, I wasn't even that late. That's not the point. I said be home when the lights come on. Deal with your punishment. But we get so righteous, man. Like, it's not fair. Wait till, wait till I move out this house. It's always the first response. You, we start getting into that idea of wanting our own freedom. Not knowing that we're already building bad discipline that's going to disable us when we do get that kind of freedom. Verse 9, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the fathers of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Facts, I got school scars on the butt. Later on, However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So in this portion, I see both definitions of the word discipline. So we understand the word discipline in the sense of correction, in the sense of chastisement. We understand that. But there's also the meaning of discipline that means this. Train oneself to do something in a controlled and habitual way. Now, if you think about it, anytime you try to establish a discipline, maybe your discipline is that you wanted to get up early in the morning. When you first start off, it is painful. The first thing you look at is, where is my snooze button? <laughs> again and again and again. Some of you guys, you want to get disciplined to get your bodies in shape. You want to start working out. The first day, you're pumped up. You get in there. You start it. And then the body, it hurts like it never hurt before. You, like, you find stuff like, I didn't even know a muscle existed right here. What is that pain? It hurts. You know, when you're first trying to eat right and do all those things where you're cleansing, your body starts to growl. Why? Because it wants some steak. It's like, I can't do this Daniel fast thing. It's painful. But the thing is, you're doing something that is going to later on produce a harvest. You're building a habit, a controlled habit that later on will pay off. At first, it's hard. But have you ever been around people without any discipline? You've been in a store you see kids swinging from the lights. Like, what the heck? Where are, where are your parents at? Who's doing this? Or even grown people. You know, you're out at a concert, and they're just going ballistic. Like, everybody else is getting their clap on and singing on. You got that one person want to climb a rafter and try to jump into the crowd. Like, I wonder what home that they came from. Why are they behaving like that? Why? Man, 
have no discipline. And I wonder sometimes, does God look at, at us the same way? Like, I, I don't know why they behave like that. I gave them a book. <laughs> like, a lot. Like, there's so much stuff in there. I gave them directions. Why are they behaving like this? And the reason why we find ourselves in certain behaviors is because trying to discipline ourselves at first is not pleasant. It's not pleasant to talk in a way that you're not happy with. Sometimes you want to pop off at the mouth of people. You go, because that feels good. But when you got to hold your tongue, come on, you feel it, right? You're like, <laughs> okay, okay. Then you home and, oh, stay lucky I'm safe. Stay lucky I'm safe. <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay. You're going through a process. You're trying to build something in yourself that will pay dividends later. And I believe in 2019, in order for us to get, our, get ourselves where we need to be, we are, have to go, we are going to have to build some disciplines within ourselves. Amen? Amen? We are going to have to build some disciplines in ourselves. So this message is in no way trying to uh, beat anybody up or anything like that. I want this message to be equipping for you. I want to give you guys some guides and some tools that will help you develop discipline. So three things I want to look at. So we're going to go to, to the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 41. Luke, chapter 2, starting in verse 41. It says, every year... Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. That says they lost Jesus. Jesus stayed in Jerusalem. They left. They lost Jesus. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Bro, how you lose Jesus? For a whole day. That's one. <laughs> then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at the understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus replies, why were you searching for me, they, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man. So a couple things I want to, I want to point out. One, I, I, I don't know, I was reading this story and it just made me laugh a lot. Because I was thinking, I'm like, what does Mary and Joseph say when you lose the Savior of the world? Like, I know I freak out, like, if like, me and Teresa will be here, like, did you see Malachi? Did you see Dominic? But they went a whole day, like, he's somewhere back here. Because they traveled in caravans, they went with their whole family everywhere. They're like, he'll, he'll be fine. We haven't seen him for 24 hours. He'll be fine. And then three days later, they finally find him. So I imagine, like, what if the angel of the Lord appeared to them and was like, hey, I need to talk to Jesus. And they're like, funny thing. Ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there any way we can move Christ down to James? Can we have a James Christ? Can he be the Savior? Because we, we'll find him. We'll find him. I'm sorry. We'll find him. I just think it's, I don't know. I thought that was hilarious. I was like, how do you lose the Savior of the world? And you knew it. Like, they probably Another thing I want to point out here, it says that Jesus was obedient to his parents, teenagers, young people. 
know he knew he was Jesus. He was obedient to his parents. Here's why. Because Jesus knew that he had to grow in something. Three things I want to look at. Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. And he grew in favor with God and man. He grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. In favor with God and man. See, Jesus understood who he was. That's why he was inside the temple. He wasn't running around Jerusalem. He wasn't getting, you know, distracted by all these things. At 12 years old, he was already focused. At 12 years old, he was already focused. Already pursuing this calling upon his life. Now, I'm not saying that's where we all need to be right now. Right now, we're all, we're, we're human, and we're in the process. Talk about Jesus. But it says in Luke 2.52 that he grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with men. So the first discipline I want to look at is the discipline to become wise. Discipline to become wise. Now, the Bible is loaded with tons of scriptures on wisdom. They even got a book for wisdom, a book of Proverbs. Nothing but wisdom in there to be able to help us gain understanding of God's will and our purpose and how to live a life that will honor God. The difficulty, though, comes in putting what we know into action. See, the thing is, even though the Bible is filled with tons of wisdom, and you can read each one of them, if you're not applying them, it serves no purpose. It does nothing. And the thing is, you can... And you, we run into these people all the time where they'll do something like, hey, you probably should do that. And they go, oh, I know. Okay, well, if you know, why'd you do it? I can't consider you a wise person if you can't take the knowledge that you have and apply it to action. You're just a person filled with random knowledge. And apparently that's useless right now. But the thing is, when we know something and we put it into action, now we can become wise. The Bible says this, James chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it. For that is an essence of self-deception. So always let the word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. If you listen to the word and don't live out the message you hear, you become like the person who looks in the mirror of the word, discover the reflection of their face is the same in beginning. That saying is you're not going to see any changes. You can read it as much as you want to. Up and down, everything. You can quote it to everybody, post it on your Facebook, let everybody believe that you know scripture back and forth. But if you don't apply it, there will be no change. Wisdom is attained by two primary means. Number one, learning from our experiences. Whether good or bad. Learning. You develop wisdom by learning. Like, I did this. It didn't go well. I'm not going to do that again. Right? I spent too much money. I went out to In-N-Out all the time at Chick-fil-A. I shouldn't do that next month so I can have some more money. Okay? That was a bad experience. I learned from it. Don't repeat it. Very simple. But the thing is, we're creatures of habit. I'm hungry right now, and I don't feel like cooking. So, dollar menu it is. I took it down a notch. See that? I learned. The other way that we can get wisdom is through others' experience. And this is actually the preferred method. Because it's much better for me to watch somebody go through something and like, I don't want that to happen to me. Then I should avoid what they did. Or something worked out very well for somebody, go ask them, how did you do that? So now I don't have to waste time. And time is very, very important. Here's what Paul writes. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. So be very careful how you live, not being like
like those with no understanding, but live honorably with true wisdom. Come on. For we are living in evil times. Take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for his purposes. And don't live foolishly, for then you will have discernment to fully understand God's will. So the first thing that Paul looks at is to discipline your wisdom begins with how you use time. Everybody, every day, gets the same 24 hours. The same. It's fair across the board. That's the one thing you can count on. Time is fair. You got 24 hours to do whatever you choose with. So you cannot be upset for somebody who is drawing closer to God at a faster rate than you because of how they're applying their time. I have to look at how am I applying my time. And here's what I'm, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying jump up at 4 o'clock every morning, push yourself until midnight, and then wake up and do it again. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is know yourself. Know how you're applying time. Know when you're being lazy and non-productive, and know when you can make time. See, the thing is, if I want a relationship with God, I have to make time for it. You know, if I'm trying to pursue somebody, I'm trying to date somebody, I have to make time for that person. I want to build a strong relationship with, with my kids, I have to make time for them. So I have to do the same thing with God, and it can't be the last thing on my list. As a matter of fact, it should be the first thing on my list, is how am I going to be intentional about God today? A lot of people say, wake up 30 minutes earlier and pray because you need the Holy Spirit to start your day. Okay, cool, but I mean, I don't think you lose the Holy Spirit when you go to bed, but, you know, find your time, however, but be intentional. I'm blocking off this time. For me, I'm a night person. I'm, that's how I am now. Ever since I left the army, I don't have to get up early anymore. I was set free. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I'll, get, I'll use my time at night. Like when the kids are asleep and the house is quiet, that's my time to get close with God. That's my time to build relationship. But not only am I going to work on my relationship with God, but I'm also going to take out time to serve God. How am I serving God? And I'm not talking about just in this building and how you serve at church. I'm talking about in your daily life. Do you have that written down? Do you have any plan whatsoever of how you're going to serve God on a daily basis? Today I'm going to make a phone call to a person. Today I'm going to send some scripture to a person. Today I'm going to do a Bible study with a person. Whatever it may be, are you intentional about that time? Because that's where wisdom is. A wise person uses their time wisely. Right? And if we're trying to grow with God and we're trying to know who God wants us to be, we need to use our time wisely to be able to build with him. That's how we discipline ourselves. Become intentional on how you use your time. The second one that Paul points out, and I think this one's a little bit more difficult, is coming to understanding God's will. I know that's a big question in a lot of heads. I'm trying to figure out God's will for my life. And, you know, after doing some studying and stuff like that and some prayer, it really came something very simple. It's understanding needs versus wants. Understanding needs versus wants. And I'm not talking about in the sense of I got to pay my rent. I need to pay my mortgage. I got to get groceries. I got to pay. God, those are needs. Those are physical needs that you do have. And God sees those needs and God will supply those needs. But the needs I'm really talking about is what are your spiritual needs? Are you ever focused on your spiritual needs? Because if you understand your spiritual needs, you'll be able to get clarity on God's will. But the thing is, we get so caught up on wants, and then what we'll do is, first we have our primary physical needs, right? We focus on those, those are our physical needs. And then we 
take things that we want, and then we'll call it a need, and that'll jump before our spiritual need. We'll say things like, I need a bigger house. And you can't keep the one you got clean. <laughs> like, now you're just going to have a bigger mess. It's going to be spread everywhere. I need a new car. Well, if you actually paid attention to the oil light, you wouldn't need a new car. It would work. Take care of it. It would be fine. I need a man. I need a woman. No, you don't. You need a relationship with God. God is possibly preventing you from messing somebody up. Facts. Come on, you can clap for that. So we'll say stuff like that. I know I'll be happy. I need some kids. If I get a kid, I'll be happy. I need a kid. No, you don't. No, you definitely don't. Do not create another you. Okay? Do us a favor. So here's the question I got. Do you know when you need to fast and pray? See, the thing is right now, as a church, we're doing fasting and prayer. But that was prompted by our leadership. And everybody's like, okay, cool, I'm down to do it. Great. And that is a good thing that you're participating. But have you ever considered for your own personal life, when is the time that you need to fast and pray? Because that is a need. That is a spiritual need. At times, you need to do that. Do you know when you need to seek wise counsel? You got things on your plate that go beyond your head. Do you know when you need to reach out and say, you know what, I need to seek wisdom and understanding from somebody who has a strong relationship with God? Do you understand when you need to do that? Do you know when you need correction and you need to repent? Because the thing is, we'll walk through life pretending everything is just fine, everything is, you know, to the moon, we're just great. But in reality, we know that there's a lot of brokenness and a lot of things going on internally that is jacking us up. But we got to understand, wants versus needs. A lot of things we want, but we need to place our spiritual needs in front. That's what the wise do. Before I make a decision, I need to be disciplined, fast, and pray because I need to know God's will for my life. When I'm going through a tough time, I need to be disciplined in my worship. I need to be disciplined in my worship. I need to be able to give God praise. In all circumstances, when you are unsure about something and you require clarity, be disciplined and seek out wise counsel. You need to be able to be teachable. One quick point with that. No matter how old you get, no matter how much knowledge you have, never become unteachable. Never become unteachable to the point where I know, I got it, I've done this before, I understand, don't worry about it. Never become that way because God doesn't put a cap on wisdom. We put a cap on wisdom. We get to a certain point in life where we feel comfortable, and we stop. We stop listening. We stop accepting and opening up our hearts to other people who can deposit. For as long as I'm on this earth, I want to glean from somebody, whether it's somebody who's older or somebody who's younger. And I can tell you, because I work with teenagers and young adults, they teach me a lot. They teach me a lot. How to dress. No, they teach me a lot of different things and how to see the world through a whole different lens. And if I get to a point where I'm so comfortable, I won't be able to impact another part of the world that I'm not looking at. So be teachable. Last one, when you need, know you have messed up, be disciplined and go before God. You need to repent so you can be restored. These are the disciplines of the wise. Wisdom is built by establishing these habits. Second one, discipline to build stature. Now, stature in this context is demonstrated in Luke 2.52. It's talking about the quality of a person. 
It said Jesus grew in stature. They're talking about his quality. How was his character? How, and another way you can say it is, what kind of reputation did Jesus build? He grew in his stature. He had a good reputation that preceded him. Now notice, and also as the person who is highly respected. When you grow in stature, you become a person who is highly respected. Not liked, but respected. When you're going in your stature, you're not trying to focus on people liking you. You're not focusing on them unlocking you either. What you're focusing on is, am I a person of integrity? Am I a person that can be trusted? Because that person, no matter what, will be respected. Because they're a person of integrity. But the real way that we become a person of good stature is by being who God says we are. So who does God say we are? Romans 8, verse 12. So then, beloved ones, the flesh has no claims on us at all. And we have no further obligation to live in obedience to it. For when you live controlled by the flesh, you are about to die. But if the life of the spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, we then taste his abundant life. Verse 14. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. So everything that we do is not an obligation. But we move by impulse on where the spirit is leading us. See, because the spirit of religious duty is leading back into a fear of never being good enough. When you feel something is a religious duty, you will always look back and feel, I don't belong. I don't fit. I shouldn't be here. But that's not the spirit that was given to us. He continues on, he says, enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned, for he rises up within us. Our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection. Beloved fathers, for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being. This is who God says we are. You are God's beloved child. Every single one of you in here, you are God's beloved child. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants what's best for you. It is your responsibility to own it, to walk in it each and every single day. As children of God, you are not held captive by your past life. That is who you were, not who you are. God calls you son. God calls you daughter. That is who you are. You build your stature with that understanding. I am a child of God. I'm going to walk in it every single day of my life. It is who I am. I am who he says I am. So through that, I'm going to be a person of integrity. Proverbs 10, verse 9 says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. See, the thing is, when I know I'm a child of God, and I know I'm a person of integrity, I don't have to hide stuff anymore. And I want to get this clear. Being a person of integrity does not mean you don't make mistakes. It means when you make mistakes, you can own your mistakes. You can own, I fell short here. I did this. I made that choice. There's nothing wrong with that. That is the best thing you can do for your life. That will propel you forward. The moment you own your circumstance that you put yourself in. I put my finances in this because I bought things I shouldn't have bought. I made my relationship with my wife like this because I said things that I shouldn't have said. My relationship with my kids are like this because I'm not investing the time that I should be. Own it. 
child of God. And when we own it, now we can be restored through it. Now we can be healed. Now we can be made new. Because we came to a place in a discipline to own it in every circumstance. It's not a bad thing. We take it, and the world creates it such a way to where we can blame everything. The world makes it so easy where we can blame so much. Blame the president. Blame Democrats. Blame Republicans. Blame racism. Blame sexism. Blame feminism. Blame toxic masculinity. Just don't own it. But the thing is, when you own it, you can progress forward. You can get through it. Now I can make a plan. I can see with clear eyes and clear vision. I can focus now because I have gotten past my past. When we build our wisdom, we build our stature, that automatically takes us into favor with God and man. I'm going to show it here in Luke chapter 4. Jesus gets tested in the wilderness. It says, from the moment of his baptism, Jesus was overflowing with the Holy Spirit. He was taken by the Spirit from the Jordan into the lonely wilderness of Judea to experience the ordeal of testing by the accuser for 40 days. He ate no food during this time, and he ended the 40-day fast very hungry. It was then the devil said to him, if you are really the Son of God, command this stone to turn into a loaf of bread. I find it interesting that throughout the 40-day process, the devil left him completely alone. He had 40 days to attack him, 40 days to test him, but he waited. He waited till he was most vulnerable. To where the devil thought that he could actually inflict damage upon Jesus. This is how Jesus replied. I will not, for it is written in the scriptures, life does not come from eating bread, but from God. Life flows from every revelation from his mouth.
attacks, the devil had no choice but to respect them. He didn't like them, but he had to respect the authority on him. And it forced him away. And see, and this is my goal, is that I want to build myself and my wisdom in such a way that when the enemy attacks me, I know how to respond. That when the enemy tries to tempt me and provoke me, I'm not tempted because I have integrity. And I know what God has promised me. I know what God has set before me, and I trust in that. And at this phase in my life, I can see it now. So when the devil tries to come at me, I go back to all the victories that God already gave me. See, the thing is, I remember when the devil tried to attack my marriage and tried to split me and Teresa up. And he tried to come in there, and he had me on the ropes when I was about to quit. But luckily, I had enough wisdom inside of me to reach out and seek counsel. And that counsel told me how to restore my marriage and bring it back to the right standing. And I can serve God today. I remember when the devil tried to come at me and try to say, hey, your son Malachi, he has problems. He's not going to make it. You guys need to go somewhere where he's going to be able to be successful. And the school's trying to tell me he's special. Something's wrong with him. But I see him in church growing, understanding, and learning the scriptures. I see him at camps, pressing into worship, going with God, serving God with all his heart. He's on the worship team. I see the enemy come at me and say, hey, I'm going to attack your finances. I'm going to make you broke. I laughed at all you for God. I grew up in the hood. I ain't gritting Tyrone all the time. Ain't no way. I remember the enemy coming at me with Dominic and saying, hey, look at his body. He's going to die. He's not going to make it. And I watched my kid be gifted and grow and begin loving God and serving God. And I just point all these things, victory after victory after victory. I look at the devil when he says, I'm going to take your youth ministry and I'm going to break it. And I got a youth ministry that's on fire for God. We got young adults pressing in. I can see the victory time and time again. So when the devil comes at me, I know how to respond to them. The devil's been trying to attack you. He's been coming at your mind. He's been coming at your family. 